our text says, that this text says, that when Jesus was talking to these individuals in particular, he said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He's actually issuing an ultimatum. You know, Jesus didn't do that very often in his teaching. As we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and the activity of Jesus, I think I've got it on, don't I? Chip says he can't hear. Come on up here, Chip. <laughs> but when, when we read about what Jesus is telling these people, and we read about his behavior in other times, it, it's hard to come up with, the, with a, an example like this one. In this text, he's issuing an ultimatum. If you don't do it, you're going to perish. Now that may may uh, seem surfacy to us, but at the same time, that's that's a very very uh, strong statement. It's uh, it's the ultimatum is only good, however, if the one issuing it can bring it about. So sometimes a parent will say something to a child. So if you don't do this, I'm going to spank you. But if they have no resolve to do it, they, they don't spank them, then the, the threat is nothing. But we have to understand that Jesus had the power to bring about what he's going to say when he said, if you don't repent, you're going to perish. The, the notion of repentance gets away from us, I'm afraid. It's, it's more uh, exact and it's more uh, complex than simply thinking that we change our mind. That's not what it's talking about. When he talks about repentance, he's talking about changing your entire mindset. How you were thinking before, you're going to have to think differently. And to change the direction that your life is going. That's what he's, what he's referring to. This was a statement that was hard to be accepted by these people. And it's no easier for us to accept it today when someone tells us we have to repent. What they're saying is, you have been wrong in the way you think and the way you act. You're going to have to change that. Now that hits us where it hurts. Whoever is demanding that repentance from us is not satisfied with how we look and how we behave. They are demanding a total remake of who we are and what we've been doing. The first assumption that must be proven is that the one who is demanding the repentance from us knows that we are thinking and acting in a manner that is detrimental to us and those around us. They have to know that. When someone tells you you have to repent, they have to know you haven't been behaving properly. You haven't been thinking properly. They have to know that. The only one who could fill that role, obviously, is God. He's the only one that knows that we've been thinking wrong and acting wrong. Correct? Your friend doesn't know that. Your spouse doesn't know that. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your son, your daughter, your aunt, your uncle, your mother, your father, your grandparents, they don't know that. There's only one who knows that you've been doing something, thinking something wrong, and behaving wrong. Because you often do a lot of things in secret. Now, when John the Baptist got into this world, he came as a forerunner of Jesus, and the first words out of his mouth were, Repent. 
you people have to change the way you've been thinking, the way you've been behaving, the way you've been acting. You're going to have to make a complete change in your total character, in your mind, in everything, in your mindset, in everything you've been doing. Now, there were some who accepted that among the more humble individuals who weren't proud of who they were and what they'd been doing and who actually were at the lower class in society, what we would call the lower class of society. They were the publicans, those who worked for the government. And then there were those who were poor, those who were distressed, those who were in trouble physically, financially. These people, when they came to hear John, they asked the question, what, what should we do? And John gave them some answers. But there were others who were proud. You're not going to tell me I've been wrong. Not at all. They were arrogant. They were sophisticated. They were the elite. Verse 29 of Luke chapter 7 says, All the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. The sophisticates didn't, didn't accept it. We haven't been wrong. You're not going to tell me I've been wrong. You can't do that. Matthew 21 verse 23 talks about Jesus. When he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? What they're, what they're saying is, who gave you the right to tell me I'm wrong? Well, they weren't going to accept it. They certainly weren't going to accept it. Now, here's an illustration he gives us in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. It says, He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. I'm right, and I don't think much of you because you haven't been right. Two men went in the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, O oh God, I thank you. I'm not a, as other men are, as this publican, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. I'm not like that. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, publican was, was a guy, like I said before, he worked for the government. He had a menial job. He had, he had a thankless job. But the publican, standing afar off, would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm going to have to, I'm going to press something on you as I, as I continue this, because we have to keep in mind that he's not talking about who you are. He's, and he's not talking about what you've accomplished in this world. He's talking about what you've done that's wrong. So the publican is not saying, God, forgive me because I'm, I'm an unjust animal. I'm a, I'm a bad animal. I'm a bad person. I just don't have any, any, anything to credit myself to you. What he said was, I am a sinner. I've been doing things wrong. That's what he's saying. That's all he's saying. He's not asking the man to doubt himself. He's, asking, he's, he's saying that this man is saying, I have been wrong. I need to change. Jesus expanded the work of John the Baptist by announcing the same message. That's what Jesus preached. He came preaching and then sending his apostles to do the same thing. 
In Matthew 4.17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he found a great resistance to his request. As we might expect when the people he was speaking to did not accept his right to make that such a demand. They didn't think he had the right to say that. In Matthew 11, verse 20 through 24, listen to this carefully. He began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. So he had been working miracles, healing people, raising the dead even, letting those who deaf hear, those who couldn't speak, granted them the ability to speak, those who couldn't walk, those who had incurable diseases, he cured them. And he's upbraiding these cities. Why? Because they repented not. They didn't repent. We're going to make a change in their lives. Woe unto you, Chorazin! Woe unto you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which are done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, these were ancient cities, he said they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, who are exalted unto heaven, you shall be brought down to hell, for if the mighty works which have been done in you had been done in Sodom, remember Sodom and Gomorrah? He said if they had been if these works had been done in them, they would have repented. But he said, It would have repented unto this day, but it, it, it has remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. In Luke 11:32, he says, "The men of Nineveh, remember Jonah, he was sent to Nineveh, and he told these people to repent. What he's telling them to do is, think about what you've been doing and thinking and acting the way you've been acting, and change. That's what he's saying. Change your behavior. Change your thinking, change your behavior. He said, "The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonas." And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. One of the salient reasons why repentance isn't forthcoming is that it is hard to admit faults of character. Hard to admit that. That's why we don't just jump up and repent. That's why we don't just change everything in our life. Because it's hard to, re- to admit that we've done that. Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, He says, I came not to call the righteous, those who think they're right, but sinners. This would include us as well, of course. Jesus extended the requirement of repentance to all humanity, not just to the Jews that he came to, but he extended that requirement to everyone. Now, when Peter preached the first sermon that mankind has ever heard about salvation and the forgiveness of sins, he preached that Jesus was the Christ. Think about this just a minute. He preached that Jesus was the Christ and all that he had done proved the fact that he had been sent from God. And when he, when he finished that and these people recognized that this man from Galilee was Jesus the Christ, they asked the question. They said, what shall we do? And you know what Peter said? The first rattle out of the box. In other words, the first time these people came eye to eye, face to face with Jesus the Christ, You know what he told them? Repent. First rattle out of the box. The first time you come in contact with Jesus, you know the first thing he's going to tell you to do? 
Repent. Change. Make a change. Make the most dramatic change you've ever made in your whole life or ever will make in your whole life. Repent. That's what Peter said. And he said those that received that word, those who were baptized, were added unto the Lord. Okay. Paul said the same thing when he was in Athens preaching to the philosophers on Mars Hill. In Acts 17 at verse 30, it says that he told them the times of this ignorance, he, he looked at all their idols that were there. They were, they'd been groping around looking for God. And he said, the times of this ignorance, you, you've got it all wrong now. Get that. You've got it all wrong. The times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Then he told them about Jesus. And you know what they did? They laughed him out of town. We're not going to do it. They're not going to repent because they didn't believe that the one that was asking them to do it had the right to do that. Now, anyone who reads the Bible recognizes that Jesus calls on those who believe in him to repent. Now, this is more than a simple regret. When you look back over your life and say, man, there's lots of things I did that I shouldn't have been doing. That's not what he's asking. He's saying what you need to do is saying, I have been wrong. From my childhood, I have been going the wrong way. That's what he's saying. Now, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough, isn't it? It's it's probably the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. In all likelihood, it is. But it's, listen to what it is. It's not just regret. It's not just saying, hey, man, I wish I could do that all over again. I wish I had not said that. I wish I had not done that. I'm so ashamed of what I did in my past. I won't even talk about it. That's not what he's asking you to do. Just regret what you did. He's asking you to change. Don't do that again. Change your mindset. Change your thought process. Change. And then change your actions. That's what he's talking about in repentance. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, and I just mentioned this right away, there's not a person in jail today that wouldn't regret what he did because he got caught. Okay? When we get caught, it catches up to us. We're going to regret it. We're going to say, well, I wish we hadn't done that. Why? Because we're suffering consequences. That's not repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, Godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of this world works death. The repentance involves a determination to leave our past behind and strike out anew with Jesus as our companion and our guide. It's a new life altogether. Altogether different. A new life from what we've been used to. First, there's a recognition that there's someone to whom we must account to in our lives. We have to recognize that. We're going to have to give an account to somebody for the way we've lived. Unless we recognize that, why should we repent? Why should I, why should I be concerned about changing my life if I don't have to give an account for what I've done? Let's go about my business. When it's all over, it's over. When I'm dead, I'm dead like Rover. Nothing there. Nothing going on. I know a lot of people like to think their dogs are going to go to heaven, but the Bible doesn't talk about that. The Bible talks about human beings, intellectual thoughts and so forth. We go to heaven or hell, one or the other. 
But if there's not anything like this, why should we repent? Well, there has to be a force above ourselves to make us repent, to even get us to think about repentance. It can't be our contemporaries that required of us. It has to be more than that. It has to be more than the fact that uh, we have been offering to our family, friends, community, and society that we've been wrong. It has to be somebody larger than that. We account to God and to His Son, Jesus. That's who we give an account to. In John chapter 5, verse 26 through 29, it says, For as the Father has life in Himself, so has He given to the Son to have life in Himself, and has given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of God. Now, it says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. When we come face to face with Jesus, the first thing He says to us is, Repent. If we believe in Him, we have to have no qualms about making the major changes in our thinking and in our lives. We simply recognize that He has the right to ask this. Now, let me take you back a little bit. Who else would have the right to ask you to change anything in your life? Who has the right? Your parents? You'll outgrow that. Your spouse? You'll, you'll ignore that. Your children? You'll shove them aside. Your government? Nobody wants to listen to the government. Your friends? Well, sometimes. Who has the right to actually tell us, make some major changes in your life? And that one who has the right is no one else but God and no one else but Jesus. He has a standard then. Now, let's look beyond this. He has a standard that he uses by which he judges our behavior. We read it in what is called the Word of God. That's the standard. Okay. And there are two basic rules that we have in our lives failed to follow. Why should I repent? Because I've broken one of these rules. The first one is, as he, Jesus told those who asked him the question, what's the greatest law, what is the greatest law in the commandment, the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So I haven't done that. No, no, nor is anyone else. That's the problem. That's one of the rules we've broken. The next is to love your neighbor as yourself. Haven't always done that either. So I've got two areas where I've, I've really done wrong. Now, in order for me to repent, I, I started to use the blackboard this morning because I don't have the charts that I can put up for you, but let's just start out. Repentance is tough. Three reasons why and how we can repent. The first is recognize that someone has the right to tell you to repent. That's God, His Son, Jesus Christ. The second is I need the humility. Here's why it's tough. I have, the, I have to have the humility to recognize in myself the shortcoming of my life. 
Now, that's not self-abasement. You know, a lot of people get this idea that repentance is self-abasement, that I, I feel bad about myself, that I'm, I'm unworthy, I'm nothing. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm not smart, I'm not tall, I'm not handsome, I'm not pretty, I'm not pleasant, I'm not sociable, I'm not this, I'm not that. And so we begin to beat ourselves up. That's not what he's asking when he says repent. He says, you know what you've done? you sinned. That's what you've done. You've done something wrong. It's not who you are. God does not look down upon us because of the, you know, the frailty of our being. He looks down upon us because we stood up to Him and said, I don't care. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it because I want to do it. And I don't care what you think. Now that's basically where we come into this business of humility. We have, the, you, the, you have to have the humility of recognizing that we've been thinking wrong and doing wrong that we need correction and we need guidance to get us through our lives. We need, because our vessel, our ship, is sinking and it's being flooded with water, we need help in bailing the water out and getting our ship back afloat and getting it in the right direction. That's what we need. Now, the third is we have to have a willingness to accept responsibility for our behavior and take the blame for falling short. Now, that may seem simple, but that's a very complex point. Have to take the blame. You have to take the blame for what you've done. It's not your parents' fault. It's not society's fault. It's not the government's fault. It's not the environment's fault. It's not your friend's fault. It's not... Whose fault is it? It's my fault. I have to be willing to take the blame for what I've done. And falling short of expectations, that's, that's my fault. It's, it's extremely difficult for me to say, try it sometime. I am wrong. Get in an argument with someone. Say it. Sorry, I was wrong. I should not have said that, should not have done that, should not have acted that way. I was wrong. My attitude was wrong. My thinking was wrong. It's my fault. Try saying that sometimes. That's why it's hard to repent. That's exactly why it is. Without justifying it and saying, well, I was wrong because. Forget that. (laughs) That's not repentance. You don't say, I was wrong because... I was raised wrong. I was wrong because I grew up in a slum. I was wrong because I didn't have the advantages you had. I was wrong because the policeman didn't treat me right or my family right. I was wrong because, well, you were wrong because you're a sinner. Face it. In order to repent, and that's why repentance is tough. In order to repent, you've got to say, I was wrong and take the responsibility. Just say, it's all on me. Romans chapter 3 at verse 9 says, what, what then? And he's talking about the difference between Jews, Israelites, who thought they were always right because they were God's favorite, but they neglected the fact that they could also be sinners. He said, what then? Are we better than they? No and no wise. We have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, they're all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seek after God. 
They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That's Psalms chapter 14. All sinners. Romans chapter 3, 23 says, All of sin comes short of the glory of God. The reason why it's tough to repent in our society and why you don't see more people repenting and making their lives right is because society has made it tough to repent. Probably almost impossible for people to repent. Society has had put many stumbling blocks in front of us so that repent to repent is a major undertaking and it requires strong faith in God even to get there. If you don't believe in God, you're not going. You're not going to repent. You're not going to. Society has redefined our failures for us. Society has excused us with vague values that rationalize wrongdoing. The reason we do wrong things is because, and so society gives us a wide plethora of excuses we can use to justify why we have fallen short of what we should be and ought to be. We, uh, we put it on our culture, we put it on our society, our government, our environment, like Adam of old, remember? Adam took the fruit, remember, and God caught him. He was hiding out. After he did it, he hid himself. And God confronted him, and you know what Adam said? He offered an excuse right away. It's the woman you gave me. It's the woman you gave me. And the woman said, it's the snake you created over her. So everybody's got, a, got someone to blame an excuse. Our culture, think about it just a minute. Why is it hard for people to repent, change, and live a life with God? Because our culture has lowered the moral standards from God's exalted and elevated holiness down to man's down and dirty crudeness. Moral standards just kept coming down and down and down and down. So you don't have to reach up to get to the bar of holiness. You have to reach down to get to the standard of holiness in our society. Salacious thinking, all of these things. Society accepts them, encourages them, endorses them, magnifies them, parades them around in front of us, salacious speech, filthy language. We don't think anything about it. We just say anything we want to. It comes off the top of our head, no matter how dirty it is. Pornography. Why, it's licensed in our country. Thievery, fornication, villainy, disrespect for other people and other people's person and property. Hatred and animosity, as long as, the, as it fits with what the current policy endorses. You know, you can say whatever you want to. You can say everything but one word. Sin. Don't ever use the word sin in our culture because that's a no-no. We don't use that term anymore. That's one of those words that's prohibited. There's no stretching to reach goodness. There's just a crumbling. When crime is not crime, marriage is not honorable, you know, people live together today, they don't even think about being married. Why? Because the standard's down. Who cares? We've, we've lowered the moral standards. Paul said, Jesus said to Paul, he said, marriage is honorable among all, the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. He will judge. 
we, uh, we begin to uh, parade our, our uh, badness, parade our low morals, just like this Pride Month that's going on in front of us. You know, it's not wrong for men to like other men, to enjoy other men's company, to be friends. It's not wrong for women to do the same thing. We're not talking about friendship among the same sexes. We're talking about people having sexual conduct among the same sexes. That's what we're talking about. Pride Month has nothing to do with people in relationships and just enjoying each other's company. It has to do with sexual immorality and the sexual unspeakableness of what's going on in those relationships. And yet we're, it's being flaunted for us all the time. And if anybody says anything about against it, they're the ones that are, that are generally uh, stifled. The standard for goodness is not rising. It's, it's plummeting. Thus there's no call for repentance. Why repent? Why repent? What would a person repent of in this environment? What would you repent of? If you accept the society standard today, what, what, do you, what on earth could you repent of? What could you do to be so bad? Oh, you killed someone. Oh, maybe you could repent of that if you get caught anyway. What about if I steal? Well, you can repent of that if somebody catches you with your hand in a cookie jar. But to actually repent and say, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to change my thinking. I'm going to change everything that I do. It's getting harder and harder to repent in modern society. The question is, is God asking us for the impossible? When he says you must repent, is it impossible? To that I say it is impossible in today's environment for a person without God in their mind, in their heart, to repent. They can't do it. There's no reason for it. There's no, no, no warranty for it. There's no, there's no compulsion to repent in our society. Until you come face to face with the God of heaven, with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and you have faith in Him, you will not repent. You won't even think about it. Consider how anyone other than God can ask someone to repent. If you're an alcoholic, how can I get you to repent? How can I get you to quit drinking and abusing your family and making an idiot of yourselves? and carrying on and destroying lives all around you, how can I get you to do that? As an individual, how can I get you to do that? Or to get, get you off drugs? Or to get you out of, the, out of a culture that's destroying you and your family and your friends? How can I do that? It would take a swarm of bees, and then it wouldn't happen. What do I mean by swarm of bees? Well, I could beg you, that's a bee. I could beg you to quit. I'd get on my hands and knees and say, please don't do this to yourself. I can belittle you. That's another B. I can show you how, how bad you look because of what you're doing. I can do that. I, I, can, I can blame you for what you're doing and all the, all the harm that's coming up. I can badger you like some spouses do each other to try to get them to change their habits. I could, I could browbeat you, but you know what? I could never get you to change. I can't get you to change. Because I don't have the authority or the power within myself to change your life. There's only one who can do that. And that's God. He can legitimately ask us to repent and start our life all over again. Jesus of Nazareth, He's the one. He's the Christ of God. And He has made that demand. On this remarkable occasion, Luke 13, Jesus said, except you repent you shall all likewise perish. 
Put aside pride and ego. Forget about rationalizing. Don't say, well, I did this because. I said this because. I can't do this because. Forget about that. Look at Jesus and say, Lord, what will you have me to do? And you know what he's going to say? The first red line of the box, the first thing that happens, repent. Change your life. Follow me. Come out into the sunshine. Come with me into a new, bright, shiny, good world. And I'll show you what life is all about. As a matter of fact, the Father's given me life, he said, and I'll give you life. And the Son is life. And he'll grant that to us. If we'll just repent, change our hearts, change our mindset, change the whole pattern behind us and say, Lord, I'm here. And it's, it's not, he's not asking you to take a diet, go on a diet. That won't work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose 10 pounds, we say. And then we'll go back on it. That doesn't, who cares? I'm, I'm going to quit doing this. I'm going to quit doing that. I'm going to, I'm going to go this and do that. I'm going, to, I'm going to make resolutions. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying change your entire life. Think differently. Come think with me. You don't have to listen to some televangelist or somebody who, who thinks they know what, they ought, what you ought to be doing. Listen to Jesus. Get in that word. Listen to what he has to say. Let him lead you. Let him take you by the hand and say, come on out of that old life and come with me. Repent. Be baptized into Christ. Arise and walk in what he calls newness of life. That's fresh. That's new. That's vibrant. That's vigorous. Come with me, he says. So let's close this. Put your bad life behind you and step into the world of Jesus in his kingdom. You can do it. Let's, let's rise and sing that song of invitation.